0: Are listening to the Therapy Podcast with your host Schloimi Balsam. Welcome to another episode of the what's it called again? The Therapy Podcast. Today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. I want to analyze a movie character. Not because I want to analyze a movie character, but because I have an assignment and that's what I got to do. So in order to do that, I'm going to. Talk about talk about it a little bit, see what I come up with, um, and maybe we'll dissect him a little bit together. The character that we're going to be dealing with is Brian Johnson from The Breakfast Club. Now um, we're going to break him down. First we'll introduce him a little bit. Then we will discuss his physical development, his cognitive development, his social development, then his identity development. Implications for practice. That means, what can we learn from him that we can actually use in a, in a real life session? Then maybe we'll conclude with some ideas on adolescence as a whole. So, let's do it. One of the first things that we think when we hear about therapy... Is puberty. This may be the most externally obvious of the changes that happen in adolescence, but the internal ones can, in fact, be far more dramatic. We recently discovered a signaling chemical called Kispeptin. Named after the Hershey Kiss where this discovery was made. And what Caspeptin does is it triggers the activation of gonadotropin-releasing hormones, or GNRH, which stimulates the pituitary and sets the reductive axis into motion. The timing of puberty can be affected by genetic factors. For example, identical twins can very often begin and end their process within a few months of each other. One of the responses of puberty is the adolescent growth spurt, which is a rapid increase in size accompanied by a change of shape and proportion in the body. The entire occurrence is about over a four-year span. And the average height increase is about 10 inches. While Brian exemplifies a very healthy puberty development, rates of physical development vary very widely amongst teenagers. So... It can either be a source of pride or embarrassment. When a boy matures earlier, he tends to be stronger, taller, and more athletic than the later maturing peers. In fact, Judd Nelson was 25 years old at the filming. He was the, he played the bully, so he was older, and you can see the the extra element of pride and strength that he displays over Brian, which may be completing his puberty era, but started it later. So he lacks that extra confidence. Okay. When he sits down, every, every character has a different color theme, and underneath every layer of their clothing... John used the director. He re- he designed them. They all have an extra layer, a different color beneath. And you know, the jock has white under his blue, and the princess has white under her pink. The uh, the bully has, uh, I believe it's he's black and red. I don't remember what color he had. Uh, what color he has underneath? But Brian sits down with a green sweater. But then by the end, he's wearing a white t-shirt. He is essentially pure, and he becomes to be okay with his inner reality. He doesn't need to cover it up. He's a wonderful person. He gets along with everyone. He sits down, and he, he's the only one that calls the principal, sir. He makes sure not to rub anyone the wrong way. He just wants to follow the rules. He even knows the janitor. But he's a little embarrassed, friends to know that that's part of the uh the development that we see we see him uh turn into by the end of the movie because by the end he proudly says goodbye to him in front of his new uh very diverse friends he realizes that that's not something bad about him and there's there's no reason to be hiding that part of him there's no shame in his kindness He also learns to curse. He learns to stick up for himself. He learns to break rules. He learns... How does he learn it? So the climax of the movie is at the end when they have a group therapy and Brian opens up that. He's in detention because he got an F on a shop test Now, that's not what got him in detention. The problem is that he was cheating on a test after that. It seems that the pressure that he has from his parents to succeed, he is a very brilliant kid, but the pressure is incredibly overwhelming and he just couldn't face that F. And even if he could, he knew his parents can't. And he makes mention of that. He says, even if I could handle this, my parents can't. This is not something that could be on the table. So he bought a gun. It was a flare gun, but he bought a gun, and he was going to kill himself. He didn't, and neither did he buy a real gun. You see, he is a very kind, timid person. All the other actors admitted that he is the most relatable of the bunch. He is hes somewhat normal. The other ones are, uh, are, are, are like have something very unique about them. They're extreme. Brian is very, very normal, likable, pleasant, a good kid, and not like a nerdy, second-in-your-face type either. He he doesn't tell he doesn't tell them that he's in a whole bunch of brainy clubs until it actually uh, they ask him. It comes out in conversation. But I think there are a few points that really bring out who he is. There was an actually an improvised line where they were going through each other's IDs. And they're fake IDs and some uh, and they ask Brian why what do what do you what do you need an ID for? And he says to vote. And genuinely, he says he says he needs it to vote. And that's not why normal kids get a fake ID. But Brian is a very, very healthy kid, and yet he's a member of the Breakfast Club. his parents love him but maybe too much the pressure that he's receiving from home is weighing down on him and bringing out a really dark side adolescents can bring out a tremendous moodiness it's part, that's part of a you know a broader behavioral tendency that uh, that comes with the hormones of a teenager but there is there could be a, a, sto- a storm of stress that it, it could be that the teen he can hold inside of him and nobody knows everyone thinks he's fine but he has a gun in his closet and he tells them at the beginning that the reason why he's in detention is because he cheated on a test but it was not that it was because after failing a test he bought a gun The gun went off in in his locker, and that's why he got suspended for having a gun go off in his locker. Which, really, I mean, like, I mean, just think about the schooling. What did the principal think? He, He didn't even ask twice about the gun. He says, Oh, you're making trouble. There's a gun going off in your locker, so what's the response? Sit here for eight hours and think about what you did. I mean, just, you know, think half a layer below the surface, man. There are ways of gauging adolescents' mood. There's um, It's called Experience Sampling Method, created by Larson and Richard in 1994. The uh, participants wear, uh, they wore beepers whenever they were awake. And when they were beeped, they made notes about what they were doing, thinking, and feeling at that moment. And in the course of the day, the adolescents reported more mood disruptions, more feelings of self-consciousness and embarrassment, more extremes of emotions and less happiness than younger children or adults. In addition, their emotional reactions to the very same events tended to be more intense than those of other age groups. So it was a totally random beep. Let's beep. You know, we have... I I don't know how many people were in this study, but they have adults and they have adolescents, they have children. And at any point they would say, "Okay, chart what you're feeling. And inevitably it was far more intense and uh, darker, more uh, less happy in the adolescence. Peterson in 1993 studied depression. And he defined it as a subclinical level of depression and found that about one third of teens can experience depressed moods at any time. Did you know that we can spot depression from the beginning of the age of six months just based on the feeding patterns of a child? He can actually fall into depression. So so this is something we experience as uh, babies until... You know, old people can be. There's definitely someone who, you know, is running out of things that he can do with his body by the end of his life, and he's not happy about what he, how he has spent his time. He's definitely prone to depression as an adult, and yet the teens are taking the brunt of it. Brian does not seem depressed. He seems very happy with himself. He really doesn't. He's in good spirits. He's sticking his pen up his nose. He's, you know, talking. He's, he's personable. And yet, that same kid is suicidal. This is... No, this is not an easy task. It is a big job, and every pedagogue has to learn how to be able to see past the surface. Jean Piaget described the middle school, the middle childhood as the concrete operational thought where children are able to reason, but only with things that are concrete. For example, the test done was two bags. One has two yellow marbles. One has one green marble. The other one has five yellow marbles and five green marbles. So there are more yellow marbles in the 10 marble bag, but there are more yellow than green marbles in the first one, right? You understand? So if you reach your hand into the 10 marble bag, you have a 50% chance of getting a yellow. If you reach your hand into the three marble bag, you have a 67, 6.66 chance of getting a yellow marble. And you tell, <coughs> you tell the good yellow marble. And the, the child the is offered to try to get a yellow marble, and you can try from either one of these bags. At At the concrete operational thought stage, the kid will reach into the 10 marble bag because there are more yellow marbles in here. So like doy, I will probably get a yellow marble. However, as we grow up and our cognitive development starts manifesting all of these limitations begin to recede and you know while an eight-year-old will go for the small one as an you know as, as you get older the, the, the that concrete necessity fades and you will reach for the one, even though there are less marbles in there, and even though it's less concrete, it's, you know, there's a a mathematical equation that you're reaching into and not just colors. Oh, there's lots of yellow here. Yeah, but statistically, and that statistical thought is a, uh, that's like a formal operational thought. First, uh, the formal thought rises above particular contents and focuses on relationships that govern those contents. It's it's an abstraction. These changes occur gradually. There's no startling stage-like shift when you just wake up and you're like, oh, I can think out of the box. I can think beyond what is right in front of me. No, it's step-by-step, and as the... Childlike thinking fades, the new, broader perspective slowly creeps in. You can expect more from adolescents. Just like uh, with algebra, there are more abstract subject ideas likely to be introduced to the curriculum at about 12. In science classes, younger students may be given laboratory assignments that consist of simple demonstrations. Adolescents are more often expected to generate and test hypotheses with thorough rigor. You guys are now able to think out of the box. Brian's mind is clearly developed uh, to the point where he's, he's, you know, he's talking philosophy and he is aware of every fire exit and even though he's not a regular in detention, he is able to... He knows a right and a wrong. And at the beginning of the movie, he knows a right and a wrong because that's what his parents told him. This is, you know, smoking pot is bad. Drugs are bad. And doing well in school is good. But through the the therapeutic process that happens with his four new swanky friends he realizes that there is another level of right and wrong and he's able to now realize there's a bigger uh, broader understanding that maybe getting an f is not the worst thing if that's what it takes to keep my mental health a b plus is healthy if an a plus would be stealing my soul and smoking pot with my friends once does not turn me into a you know an evil crazy terrible or you know long gone thug part of the uh, cognitive development in adolescence is that they learn to construct ideals that's a, a logically organized possible systems Uh, Cohen puts it in 1978, such individuals are adept at generating ideas about the world as it could be. What is the ideal situation here? And that could also be something that you could see in Brian's letter. He's telling his principal, you're not looking at who we are uh, for who we can be. Rather, you're just looking at the face value, shallow presentation that we give off. And he also discusses in the group therapy what's going to happen after class. And that is an an idealism. He says, guys, I would never shun you in the hallway after we, we, you know, now we're friends. And I will not do that. And he realizes that this is an ideal. This is that in an ideal world, we will be friends forever. And I think the most amazing part is that he walks out knowing that that probably won't happen. He will not get his ideal world. Yet there's a certain joy in identifying it. There is a calm. There is a tranquility in knowing that I, I I know what could be. I'm not there yet, and maybe I'll figure out ways of actually attaining it, but for now, identifying it is the first step. Okay, um, there are other aspects of of the uh, cognitive development. There's uh, metacognition, being able to think about thought, understanding the way that we think. Um, there's an imaginary audience, which he doesn't seem to have too much of. He's really pretty comfortable in his shoes. Uh, he's not, he doesn't think that everyone's watching him. Uh, that's probably more of the princess's issue. Um, there is... The invincibility fable, which is he's definitely not suffering from thinking that, you know, you know, I'm, I'm immortal. Nothing bad could happen to me. He's very aware that things can go wrong and he and he wants to keep himself safe. But uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of adolescence and a lot in Brian. And uh, maybe we'll talk about it a little more in, in other episodes. For now, we just touched the surface. Uh, we spoke a little bit about his physical development and cognitive development. Uh, through different scopes in psychology. I hope you enjoyed. Feel free to tune in again and tune in before and comment, question. Uh, reach out to me at askmetherapy at gmail.com. That's spelled the way those words are spelled. And the way that those words are spelled. It's still funny. And I will see you soon. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.